Exasperated, his mother said to him harshly, How do you expect to get into heaven with that sort of behavior? The little boy thought for a moment and then said, Well, I'll just run in and out and keep slamming the door till they say to me, For goodness sake, come in or stay out, and then I'll go in. This passage is um, kind of famous. There's lots of famous bits from John's gospel, John 3.16, John 14.6, and and other places. And this passage kind of brings great comfort, but it also brings great challenge. And as I've been thinking about it over the, the past few days, great comfort, great challenge. It's kind of obvious on one level, great comfort. Do not let your hearts be troubled. It's this passage that I've read at uh, many funerals. Many reminders that in the face of death, as Jesus is, as the darkness closes in around the Lord Jesus Christ, he reminds us, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. And I've read that. For dear Christian brothers and sisters who have had the privilege of conducting their funeral service, great comfort, but great challenge too. Great challenge in our day and age, great challenge for me as a believer when I talk to my own family and, and friends and, and as we, we interact with people who don't yet believe. I, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Great challenge. Right into the heart of culture. Right into the heart of of our philosophy and ideas and, and what makes this world tick. Great challenge. It's wonderful. But equally, you can flip them around. That the challenge can be, in my father's house are many rooms. Do you know where you're going? Do you know that God has prepared a place for you? And indeed, great comfort comes from that statement of Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, that we can be assured and comforted knowing where we are going, knowing our place, knowing our destiny, knowing security and comfort, knowing that we are with the Lord. When we trust his word, great comfort and great challenge on face value. And as you pick a bit deeper, I hope we'll see that today. Trust in Jesus. Trust in God. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would say you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Great comfort and challenge. As I said, it, it speaks of uh, into our, our society so much, but it's not just unique to our culture. Remember, John was probably in Ephesus. He's writing. That's a, a town in Turkey. Uh, Greg mentioned that last week. He invited you to go and stay with him and visit, if you remember well. But he said, he said as, that place is still there. And as you go there, there are all sorts of places of worship that for the Romans... 
uh, you just have to watch some of the contemporary films, you know that they believed and trusted in lots of different kind of deities, lots of different gods, lots of different philosophies of life. And that the Roman culture kind of had put itself on top of the Greek culture, which was uh, kind of predated it, but was still around. Some of it they co-opted, but the Greek culture had not just other gods that they worshipped, but also a whole kind of philosophy and thinking system. You've heard of Plato, haven't you? Yeah, Plato. Uh, he ha- still influences our uh, philosophy and our thinking today. For instance, Plato kind of said that the perfection is in heaven. The truth is in heaven in the spiritual. And that that we live in, that which we experience today is, is kind of just a shadow of, but it's a corrupt shadow, a corrupt form. Just an echo of the truth. And that kind of thing, if if you like big words, the words dualism. There you go. Big word for the day. It's saying that that which we aspire to is perfection, but by implication, that which we now live in is less than good, is broken, is marred, is failed. It translates in all sorts of ways for us. We don't like our body. We think our bodies are unimportant. We think this life is just temporary and ephemeral and disposable. That in many Christian teachings, the sort of sense of it's all about when we die and we get to heaven and we get to be in this sort of slightly weirdy place. But that's not really what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that We will be with God and that God will be with us and says that our whole world is going to be renewed. Our whole world is going to be renewed such that there are new heavens and new earth, but the dwelling of God will come down and dwell with man. That's in a revelation image. Really importantly, at the end of the Gospels and kind of as as the, the thread and the emphasis so much through Paul's letters in the New Testament says that Jesus bodily rose. He was raised again from the dead into life. And Thomas, who we have here and doubts the resurrection at one point, meets Jesus and Jesus says, you can, you know, look at the scars. Let me eat breakfast with you. Earthy, real, tangible. This is where the gospel hits today. I could develop that some more, but we haven't got time. But suffice to say that that John writes and reminds that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the focus and the goal. He is everything to us. And they're right into this culture. This is kind of not a new thing that we're just having to deal with. But John, right into, uh, in the gospel to believers at the time, was saying, in a world with a panoply of options, a range of ideas, all clamoring to say, will you believe in me? Will you trust in this and that? That we are called to trust implicitly and wholeheartedly Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. And just some reminders that pluralism, 
which is the kind of the posh word, another big word for you with an ism on the end. Dualism and pluralism, wow. But pluralism is this concept that, that there are lots of different ways. You know, you can follow this and that. And as long as you're sincere, as long as you're devout, as long as you, you, know, you don't do anybody wrong but believe with conviction, then that's okay. They all get there, don't they? They're just different paths up the mountain. They're just different bus routes that all end up in the terminus. That's what pluralism states. But actually, it's dishonest. It's not true. That actually Jesus is exclusive. And actually, it's, it's illogical when you think about it. Let me explain this. Don't, um, we don't pretend that all roads lead to London. You know, I want to go to London. Well, pop up. Uh, the the uh, the M42 goes nowhere near London. All roads aren't the same. Not all ships sail to Australia. All flights don't land in Rome. Imagine your response to a travel agent who claims that they do. You tell him you need to get a flight to Rome in Italy, and he taps away and looks at the screen. Well, there's a flight to Sydney. Australia departs at 6 a.m. Does it go to Rome? No, but it offers wonderful in-flight dining and, uh, and movies. But I need to go to Rome. Then let me suggest Singapore Airlines. Singapore Airlines flies to Rome. No, but they've consistently won a good awards for on-time arrivals. You're growing frustrated. I need one airline to carry me to one place, Rome. The agent appears offended. Sir, all flights go to Rome. But you know better, different flights go to different places. It's not a thick-headed conclusion, but an honest one. Every flight does not go to Rome. Every path does not lead to God. Pluralism is dishonest, and pluralism is arrogant. Because it kind of says, well, oh, just ignore what the scriptures of these different religions teach. We kind of know better. It's arrogant to say, to lump all of these religions, all of these faiths, all of these texts that people class as holy, and say, well, we'll just ignore the details, but we kind of have this overview that says, actually, they, they're all really one thing in them same, one thing all just kind of lumped together. They all lead to God. We just need to extract the kind of the kernels, and that's to do with being sincere, I mean, true to what you really do believe. Pluralism, that which we are living in, our culture, assumes it knows that it has some objectivity to assess. But ultimately, it doesn't. By taking that view, it's kind of ripping all of the truths, all of the statements, all of the assurances of the scriptures that Jesus teaches and say they count for nothing. It's kind of arrogant, isn't it? It's dishonest. When Jesus really clearly here says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's amazing. Do you, think, um, do you think Jesus is clever? 
little bit of thought there. You know, if I said to you, do you think Jesus is loving? You go, yeah, definitely. If I said to you, do you think Jesus is compassionate? Clearly, yes. Do you think Jesus is kind? Yeah, obviously, Edward. Do you think Jesus works miracles? Sure, yeah. Clever? Yeah. It's important just to pose that question. Do we think he's mistaken? Do we think that he actually tells us the truth? And Jesus makes something really clear, very directly. And yet, sometimes we manage to ignore his words and fudge the issue. Brothers and sisters, it doesn't call us to be rude to our culture, but it does call us to be sure. If Jesus says in one of those great I am statements, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world, I'm the resurrection and the life, I'm the living water, I am the way, the truth and the life, do you believe that? There's lots of nods, fantastic. But I know not everyone here may have that certainty. And I just hope and pray that as you hear this, Maybe you'll be amazed and challenged that Jesus is the way. Jesus offers us life, fullness of life. A Hindu professor kind of commenting about Jesus says this, My study of modern history has shown me that there is a moral pivot and that more and more the best life of the East is revolving around it. That pivot is Jesus Christ. That's a profound statement. To say in all the tradition, all the culture, all of the stuff that he would understand, his gaze is being directed to somewhere better. Jesus offers life. The last pope said this, having a clear faith according to the, to the beliefs of the church is often labeled as fundamentalism. Do you believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? If we say yes, our world will describe us as fundamentalists, bigots, closed-minded. Yet, he goes on, relativism, relativism, that sense of, well, they're all the same, really. It's just which perspective you take. That is, letting oneself be carried here and there by any wind of doctrine appears as the sole attitude good enough for modern times. But it's not. It certainly isn't. Jesus is unique. Jesus is unique in what he teaches, of how he focuses what he says about himself. He doesn't say, just my teaching is the way. He says, I am. As he was with his disciples, I am. Jesus says, I am. I'm the focus. I'm the center. Even in that name, I am the implicit reference and explicit to those who understand this is God himself, focusing, saying, trust in me, be assured in me. When we come to the fork in the road of our lives, should we ask directions from Buddha, who died of dysentery and was cremated, from Muhammad, who died in the, a fever in the arms of a dozen wives, one of, the, of his dozen wives, and was buried in a grave to decompose? No. Acts in chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, 
For there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. It's clear. Jesus tells the truth. It's a great challenge. You may be listening to this as a visitor and thinking, that's a bit strong, isn't it? How can you be so sure? I can be sure because it's a great comfort. I can be sure because knowing Jesus, when I've trusted my life to him, when I know that he has died on the cross me, wiped away all my sin, welcomed me to meet with the Father again, given peace in my heart that I have the liberty through the gift of the Holy Spirit to know God's love, to be able to say I'm a child of God, to be sure that I am in his hands. That brings great comfort. I'm not left in the sea of doubt, not left in the sea of uncertainty. Oh, what happens if I can be sure? Great comfort. Freddie Mercury said it like this. You remember Freddie Mercury, rock singer, group queen, died in 1991. He wrote in one of his last songs on the Miracle album, does anyone know what we're living for? I won't sing it. And in spite of the fact that he amassed a fortune and attracted thousands of fans, he admitted in an interview shortly before his death that he was desperately lonely. He said this, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. And that is the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Jesus said, I am the way. Great comfort. Jesus said, trust. Trust in God, trust in me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. In my Father's house are many rooms. Were it not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the place that I'm going. As I said at the beginning, in funerals again and again, I've had the privilege of reading this passage. I remember one, a guy called Stan. Stan used to do the sound desk at my old church. It wasn't as complicated as this. It, had, it was an old-fashioned amplifier with a little knob that you turn. And um, there were three channels. Great. <laughs> Very simple. And Stan used to love br Brill Cream, and he had loads of it in his hair. And he used to sit at the back of the church. And he'd done it for a number of years, and there was this lovely patch where he sat. And Stan had hearing aids. He was great to operate the sound desk. And he used to nip out and smoke. And that, sadly, provoked cancer in his lungs. Stan was, he'd lied in World War II. He was 15 when he'd gone to sign up. And he'd lied. And he ended up being um, a Dunkirk veteran. That's the one, isn't it? Is that the first one? Yeah. And... Second, Second World War, I meant Second World War, he wasn't that old. Second World War. <laughs> Dunkirk, that one where they, they had to be rescued. Showing my ignorance. Sorry. And he was, he was one of those veterans. He was rescued off the beaches. And then he was posted to Burma 
and he was a prisoner of war in Burma, and he was awarded the Burma Star. And I found all that out just in his last days. He wouldn't talk about it much, and he had some amazing stories. And he'd come and found faith as an older man. And do you know what? As I visited him through his last months, as I saw his body shrivel, as the cancer grew and his weight dropped and his face became more and more gaunt. I used to go and pray with him and take him communion. And I said, how are you doing, Stan? He said, I'm fine. And in his last week, one of my church leaders there had given him a little carved wooden cross. And he held it. When the nurses, when he went into the hospice, he held it when they were washing him and giving him morphine and as he coughed and coughed and was racked with pain. And I said, what does that mean to you? Everything. And as he held that cross, he knew that he was holding on to Jesus. But more importantly, Jesus was holding on to him. He was cremated, holding his cross. Great, great comfort. See, the disciples were troubled. The disciples were kind of, Jesus was saying, I'm going to leave you. And they'd given up everything for Jesus. Where are you going, Jesus? We want to be with you. And Jesus said, where I'm going, you can't follow. And they're saying, but, and he says, you know where I'm going. And they're going, huh? He said, you know the way. It's him. You see, one of the things that I, I just wanted to kind of remind you as, as we, we kind of close our service with this great meal is actually, Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm preparing a place. I will come and get you. The disciples say, where are you going? See, they knew what was really important was to be where Jesus is. That's what's vital. That's what brings great comfort and implicitly the challenge in that. To be where Jesus is. It wasn't that they, they heard Jesus saying, there's, there's a, a great room prepared for you. And go, oh, great, five stars. Where's the jacuzzi, please? Actually, they wanted to be with Jesus. They wanted to be with their Lord, their friend. The one that had led them and they'd, they'd walked with and seen the amazing power of God through. They wanted to be with him, to stay with him, to be close to him. And that's why they were troubled. Jesus, don't leave us. It's so important that we stay with Jesus. Where are you with him? Are you close with him? Or have you kind of just settled for the periphery of what it means to be with Jesus? By that, I mean, well, we come to church and we sing our songs and, and we go through the form of, but actually, are we close with Jesus? Are we talking with him? Are we asking him to fill us with his spirit? Are we sure that I'd rather be with him no matter where this life takes me? Through cancer? The disciples were anxious, they felt bereft, they felt alone, they felt they were going to be abandoned. Jesus says, I do not forget you. 
Do you believe that God is ever absent from you? Do you believe that God ever withdraws from you? Do you believe that God is not close to you always? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. He does not leave us alone. He does not leave us abandoned. We are not orphans, lost adrift at sea. Did you hear that amazing news story this week? The man from Mexico washed up in the Marshall Islands, 18 months apparently, on a little boat. I bet he was glad to be found. (laughs) Hudson Taylor, a missionary pioneer, wonderful man, when commenting on this passage, trust in God, he said, have faith in God means have faith in God's faithfulness. Sometimes we really struggle to think, I've not got much faith. Have faith in the faithfulness of God. Do not let your hearts be troubled. God is for you. You feel abandoned? God is close by. You feel guilty? He has died for your sins. You feel troubled? I will give you peace that transcends all understanding. I'm not sure. Embrace Jesus and he embraces you. This passage is of great comfort and great challenge. It's of great challenge and great comfort. Will you yield your life to him? Will you trust in him and say, yeah, I will follow you, Jesus. I will become a disciple. I will be a Christian. I know that there is no way to eternal life. There is no way that I can find fulfillment. I can find peace. There is no way that I can come to God except through you. Jesus says it abundantly clearly. I am the way. The truth, the life. And know that you're held as you hold on to him. His grip is much stronger than ours. Jesus even says, no one can snatch us from the palm of his hand. What a great, awesome God. What a great, awesome meal. Let's pray.